Automation won't put federal employees out of a job anytime soon, even those on furlough. But researchers at the General Services Administration say the spread of robotic process automation, known as RPA, will change the future of government hiring. They say this branch of automation might make it easier to recruit the next generation of talent. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has the latest. The president's management agenda looks to shift federal employees from low-value to high-value work, and it mentions that robotic process automation, or RPA, is just one way to meet that goal. Agencies have used small-scale RPA projects to tackle repetitive, menial tasks, like copying and pasting text into forms. But Ed Burroughs, a senior advisor to GSA's chief financial officer, says it's unclear what some rank-and-file employees will do when algorithms take over part of their current jobs. There are some nuances. It really depends on whose work you're automating. What we're finding so far is many of the jobs are being done by mid-level employees, So it's actually very easy to move them to more valuable work. They immediately know what they can do with their time. Their managers know. A couple of agencies, including GSA, the IRS, and the State Department, have experimented with RPA pilot programs. Those programs have freed up labor hours for employees, but Burroughs said actual cost savings have been less apparent. You don't get cost savings immediately because the people aren't leaving. But if you look over the next 10, 15 years, there's a wave of retirements coming. Burroughs said agencies won't fully invest in RPA tools until the government hits a couple of home runs with the technology. What I would call home run is, in our experience so far, several of the processes, the automations would eliminate thousands of hours per month. The highest one so far is one process that would eliminate 7,000 hours per month. And the reason for that, it's data entry, and everybody around the country is doing it exactly the same way. As soon as agencies start automating processes like that with that kind of benefit, because with processes like that, your ROI just shoots up, I think then we'll see it more. But now I think it's too new. We don't see a big commitment of investment as agencies are exploring it. Government job descriptions may change over the course of the next 10 years, but automation might also make it easier to attract the next generation of talent. You can say, well, I'm hiring you to replace this person who's retiring, and this person does 100 hours a month in these menial tasks. Here's the handbook of how to do this, and welcome to the government. This has been done for the last 10 years in the same way. Or you can recruit someone and say, we've automated these tasks with bots, and we want you to become trained so you can build them yourself. We want you to manage this suite of bots, monitor the performance, determine when they need it to be modified and updated. That's a much more appealing uh, type of job for a young person. So there are a lot of long-term benefits to the government in that. GSA has 10 bots operating at this point and has been rolling new bots out at a rate of about one per month. It hopes to have 25 bots up and running before October. In order to help get there, the agency has trained about a dozen people in the CFO's office to develop bots. Burroughs said that RPA has already started to change the work culture at GSA. It really changed the mindset. People start thinking in terms of how their jobs can be automated. Or a friend of theirs' job was automated and that person was able to do something better. And it just sweeps across the organization, almost to the point where people are doing something manual. They feel kind of embarrassed because one of their friends might say, well, why don't you get a bot for that? So that, mm-hmm. that change in mindset is really uh, powerful. Looking ahead, Burroughs said GSA has been thinking about ways to increase capacity in the space. We're considering, should we have a small central team of full-time people? Should we allow part-time people? 
So I'm finding it's not easy to scale up. I hear in the private sector of companies that have thousands of bots running. And to be honest, I can't even imagine. I mean, what kind of development capacity do they have? How many people would you need? And what kind of monthly rate of deploying bots would you have to have? Uh, you know, if I have 20 people across the organization and I'm deploying one per month, it just seems hard to scale up. We haven't gotten there yet. But RPA is just one part of the government's investment into automation and machine learning. The defense community, for example, is researching uses for sophisticated artificial intelligence tools. But there's also a lot of buzz around AI. Michael Conlin is the Defense Department's chief data officer. He said that AI gets a lot of the same hype that cloud computing got a decade ago. You remember when cloud was the big thing, we had this phenomenon we called cloud washing, like whitewashing, right? Well, now we have AI washing. Um, people claim things are AI that are not at all AI. And so you have to look under the covers. But it is to the point where everybody claims that what they're doing, how they're doing it is AI. But military services have also found real use cases for AI. Here, Conlin describes how DOD has used AI to weed out defective parts for aircraft. We discovered that there were a number of parts for aircraft that were really of incredibly poor quality. In other words, you repair them, you get a couple of hours of flight time, you had to repair them again, you get a couple of hours of flight time. We called those lemons. We found others that you repair them once, you get a hundred, a couple of hundred hours of flight time. Or maybe you repair them twice and now you're getting a thousand hours of flight time. We call those peaches. Well, we wanted to be able to see if we could tell the difference between the two at the beginning of their life cycle. In other words, not waiting for uh, hundreds and hundreds of repairs. Could we discriminate between the two with nine repairs of a part? And we found out we could. Within 99.9% accuracy, we could tell a lemon from a peach after nine maintenance stops on that item. And we could send the lemons back to the manufacturer and say, do something with this, because we can't. But DOD hit a major roadblock with this project. AI tools need lots of good, organized data to function properly. And Conlon said DOD was missing a lot of that data. The data that let us do that required that we track the serial number for every device. And when we looked at the serial number fields, what we discovered that only 25% of the data was useful. Serial numbers were left blank, where they put in uh, to complete later, or I don't know, or something that wasn't a serial number. So you couldn't connect the maintenance records together in order to be able to identify nine consistent maintenance activities. So you couldn't actually discriminate for 75% of our parts. You couldn't discriminate, right? Because literally 75% of the data was of no, no quality whatsoever. So promising opportunity where the data was clean, and we had to clean a lot of data, by the way, to, to prove that. Thousands of man hours cleaning that data. So th this kind of thing is an issue, and it particularly frustrates me because when I go for maintenance at my car dealership, they don't hand enter the VIN on my car. They come over with a tablet and they scan it and they pull up my entire service record and off we go, right? Or they put the electronic key next to a scanner and they capture that information. Well, we're not doing that in the maintenance space. Colonel Stoney Trent is the implementation team chief at the Army's Joint AI Center, or JAKE. He said the center will take a closer look at RPA applications later this year, but only in cases where RPA can improve Army readiness. We're not a science and technology organization. We're an organization that will go from problem scoping to operational prototyping in the hands of users, demonstrating practical benefit, not scientific interest, but practical benefit to our workforce uh, within a two-year time period. But Trent said that Jake has some AI puzzles to solve as well, such as navigating access issues on sensitive information. 
we demand multi-factor authentication. And so even for unclassified data sets, I'm not authorized to give a bot, you know, a, a cert to be able to access a database because they can't have a cat card. It's the same on the classified networks. I can't give them the right certs in order to, to automate those processes. And so this is one reason why the Jake is actually happens to be uh, located in the CIO office. It gives us a perch to be able to identify policy improvement needs. And so this is actually a major line of effort for us is to identify barriers to implementation and start making adjustments to our policies, in, in this case, to be able to accommodate the implementation. Because uh, really smart technologists are everywhere about ready to ready to bring their solutions to our problems, and sometimes our policies just aren't, aren't unable to adapt to that. Jory Heckman, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision.